Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn with me to Hebrews 8? Again, chapter 8 continues the overarching theme of God's Word to us in Hebrews. It's been this, that Jesus is better. And if you've been with us since the start of our study together in this book of the Bible, um, you may have recognized, nobody's ever mentioned it to me, but you may have recognized that its content is not always simple. Um, This is some heady stuff at times, deep doctrines. Uh, As chapter 5, verse 12 described it, this is the strong meat of the word. And I'm actually praising God and kind of a little, uh, I hope it's a righteous pride, just because I've had so many of you come after services or throughout the week telling me how much God's truth here has impacted you. Uh, I've learned a good bit as I have studied and delivered God's word to you, and it's my sincere prayer and desire that, that you have too. Uh, that the Holy Spirit of Christ, who illuminates the truth of God's word to God's people, that he has not been obstructed in any way by any weakness on my part or in presentation of these truths, but um, it's been my prayer that he uses the living and and active and powerful word of God to call you to respond to his word. And, uh, And that our studies in Hebrews so far, that they have grown. I hope they have grown your knowledge of an exaltation of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is better. And we're given three ways that God's salvation of us through Jesus Christ is better here in chapter 8 this morning. We already read it, but can I draw your attention to verse 6? Can you meet me right there in the middle? Um, Because God gives us an outline. It was really nice. I didn't have to come up with an outline for this. God has it right here uh, very clearly, concisely in verse 6. But now hath he obtained, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, by established upon better promises. So in verse 6, God tells us that Jesus Christ is our superior Savior for these three reasons. Before we study it, let's pray once more. Father, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit that's present in the lives of every believer here, including me, God, that um, he would reveal the truth of your word here to us. And for those, if there's one that may not, know you as Savior, God, that your Holy Spirit would call them to repentance and faith this morning, that they may start a relationship with you. Uh, Thank you for this truth, that we have a better high priest, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray through the things we're learning here, right in the middle of Hebrews, that it would deepen our, our relationship with you. God, we use that term so often. It's an accurate term, but sometimes it's hard to describe what it means to have a personal relationship with you. You clearly talk about it in this passage, and I'm thankful for that. So remind us of it this morning, and I pray that that truth would encourage and empower us through the rest of the week to live for you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verses 1 to 5, 
they talk about a better ministry. Verse 6 says, but now has Jesus obtained, a, it says a more excellent ministry. So I'm going to substitute the word better in there. He has a better ministry. Jesus, as our high priest, has a better ministry than the Old Testament high priest. He's got a better sanctuary. That's what verses 1 and 2 Talk about in verse 1 begins this chapter by aligning it with the previous 7, everything in the previous 7. God says in verse 1, this is the sum of everything that has been said so far. So we kind of are getting a summary here in this chapter. But also this is the sum of about what's about to be provided. This is the point. As saved, born again followers of Jesus Christ, we have a high priest who has a high sanctuary. Uh, it's in the heavens. That is where Jesus is right now, seated at the right hand of God. That was highlighted in the opening three verses of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, and it's highlighted here in verse 1. Such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And as verse 25 of chapter 7 told us last week, that's where he ever lives to make intercession for us in heaven. Now that's quite a sanctuary to serve in, isn't it? I like this one. I think it's beautiful. I don't know if I've ever seen a, a more beautiful. There's probably bigger ones and maybe more elaborate ones. I like this one. Um, but there's a better one. That's what verse 1 is telling us. A sanctuary in the heavens where Jesus serves. Uh, verse 2 calls it the true, the true tabernacle. The one that the Lord pitched, not man. And in this short little verse, there's some important implied truth if you were with us last week, we learned about types and the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, just like Melchizedek last week was a type of Jesus Christ. He was an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. Well, uh, the tabernacle and then the temple that replaced it, uh, everything in it and everything that the priest did in it were types as well. They were all pointing to the salvation that God would accomplish for us through Jesus Christ. And so uh, all of these types, these Old Testament pictures of New Testament realities, they have, they have that New Testament reality. In theological studies, we call them anti-types. It doesn't mean against. It just means this is the thing that came after. This was the reality that those things were pointing to, uh, what uh, those types were portraying. And the church of Jesus Christ, the church of our superior high priest, our superior savior, uh, it is the anti-type to the Old Testament tabernacle and temple and priesthood and everything that occurred there. And when there is an anti-tape, that, that reality that came after, see, there also has to, be a, has to be a prototype. There has to be something that came before that that type was based on. Uh, so the type here is the tabernacle, it's the temple and the priesthood, and the anti-type, what it pictured, the New Testament reality that you and I enjoy, that it pictured, is the church of Jesus Christ and our salvation in Christ. But the prototype, the thing that came before, is what verse 2 describes. That first tabernacle that Moses made in the wilderness, that wasn't the first tabernacle, there was one before it, wasn't there? Verse 2 talks about the true tabernacle, the one in the heavens. The one that God, it says here, the one that the Lord pitched and not man. The throne room of heaven where our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, he serves as our better high priest. And God, God made this superior heavenly sanctuary. We get little pictures of it in the book of Revelation in Isaiah, the throne room there in the temple. One day we will know it fully and completely. Uh, a superior sanctuary that God designed. 
And now God also gave Moses instructions for the earthly one that would be a type. But God, God designed this better sanctuary where our better high priest, Jesus Christ, now serves in a better ministry. That's what verse 6 says. Jesus has a more excellent, a better ministry. Well, what is his ministry? Let's look at it. His service in verses 3 through 5. His better service in this better sanctuary. Um, Let's read verse 3. For every high priest, every high priest, the ones in the Old Testament, they're all ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, talking about Jesus Christ, that he have someone also to offer as well. Uh, so the Old Testament priests, they were ordained. They were set. God chose Aaron. All right, and he chose Levi and the descendants of Levi to be the priests. Um, and they were set apart by God to serve God's people, to offer gifts and sacrifices, to lead God's people in worship. And if Jesus, if he is going to be, and he is, our better high priest, well, then he also needs something to offer. Now, it's interesting. You would expect him to start talking about that in verses 4 and 5. He does not. Um, Verses 4 and 5 don't give us any explanation of what Jesus' better service is, not really in detail. And why not? Well, because God told us what Jesus offered and why it was better than anything than the Old Testament priests offered back in chapter 7 and what we studied last week. Let's look at verse 27. Will you go back just a couple verses before the beginning of chapter 8? Chapter 7, verse 27, talking about Jesus. It says, he doesn't need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, because he has none, and then for the people's. For this he did once. We just sang it. This he did once when he offered up what? Himself. He's got a better thing to offer, doesn't he? They offered gifts. They offered sacrifices. What did Jesus Christ, our better high priest, offer to God for us? He offered up himself, and he did that once for all. He sacrificed himself on the cross to atone for our sins and to reconcile us to relationship with God if we believe, if we receive. That's why we said, believe it, receive it in that song. And we already mentioned verse 25. God doesn't reiterate it here in verses Uh, or in in verses 4 and 5, but I think we ought to. I've already told you how much I like this verse. Chapter 7, verse 25. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Why? Because he ever lives. He's present there serving in that better sanctuary. He ever lives to make intercession for us. That is what Jesus is doing. He's not bored. He's not being lazy up there. He ever lives to make intercession for you, Christian. This is what Jesus is. This is his better ministry as our better high priest. Is the sanctuary and service better? Amen. Jesus Christ as our high priest, our better high priest. He has a better ministry for us. And so verse 4 should lead us to say, praise God. He's not on earth. I'm glad he went to heaven to that better sanctuary. I'll be looking forward to when he comes back, but he's ministering for us in heaven. Now verse 5. Verse 5 is very important for our understanding of all of this truth God's presenting to us here, this whole, if I already lost you at the beginning there with type, prototype, anti-type, all this other type stuff. Look at verse 5. What, what did those high priests do in the Old Testament? They served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, gave him very specific instructions, whole chapters in the Old Testament about what the curtain was supposed to be like, and this was supposed to be overlaying in gold, and this and this and that. See, God saith, that thou maketh all things according to the pattern. So I highlighted some words in my Bible there. Example, shadow, 
pattern. Very important that uh, what we're told here in verse 5, for us understanding this whole progressive revelation of the salvation that God offers us that's revealed in his word. And the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament sanctuary and the Old Testament priestly ministry, verse 5 says they were all examples. They were examples. They were all shadows, shadows of heavenly things. Old Testament pictures of a New Testament reality. When we read about and study these things in the Old Testament, I think we can see a correlation. Maybe you're seeing new things that you haven't seen before. For some reasons, like Old Testament things is usually in Sunday school, and New Testament things are usually in morning worship services. But maybe you're starting to connect the dots. The Holy Spirit's revealing this as we have studied these last few chapters of, of Hebrews. And thank God for that. Because imagine being God's people back then. They didn't have that privilege. They didn't have that blessing. They didn't have that to look back on. Back then, they only had shadows. They only had a coming reality. What about you and I? We have something better, do we not? They had shadows. What do we have? We have substance. We have the New Testament reality of what those Old Testament pictures pointed to. We have the real deal. We have our superior Savior who has a better ministry and a superior sanctuary and a superior service for us. And so once again, this is the point that God is making here to the original audience and to all of us here the day before Valentine's Day in 2022. Here's God's point. If you have the substance, why in the world would you go back to the shadow? Why would you do that? Why would you walk in the shadow when you can walk in the light of Jesus Christ? That is his question for them here. And we will get to this later on in this passage in more detail. But if you have relationship, why would you go back to dead, cold, heartless religion? Why? So that's the better. That's the more excellent, as verse 6 said, ministry. But now let's go to the second point of the outline that God provided us in verse 6. We have a better covenant. In Jesus Christ, we have a better covenant. And so in order to show that it's better, uh, God has to first talk again about the inadequacy of the old covenant. And a simple, logical argument is presented in verse 7. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. If that's all we needed, if it was never going to be replaced, then, then why would God even make mention of the second in the Old Testament? And he does. He makes mention of a new covenant. We're going to see that in a moment. Um, Jesus said as much as he passed the cup around at the Last Supper, didn't he? In Luke twenty-two twenty, do you realize that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion together here, we highlight this new covenant? Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we do that, we're saying, yes, Lord, I have trusted in your new covenant. I am under the new covenant by faith in your grace. Now, that wasn't the beginning of the new covenant there in Luke when Last Supper when Jesus said that. It actually would begin a day later as he hung on the cross for our sins as far as its application. And the beginning of the new covenant, we can take it back all the way to Genesis. We can go back all the way to when the first uh, from when the new covenant was first needed. Genesis 3, 15, that first mention of the gospel when God told Satan there in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall of man, what did God say? I will put enmity, enmity uh, between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. 
Satan, you will bruise his heel. But he, he will bruise your head. He will bruise your head. He's beginning to talk about the new covenant, even there. He's making a promise. I'm going to ask the guys back there if you can throw up Jeremiah 31, um, 31 to 34, and you can turn there if you would like. We'll be back here, but I'd like to, to whoa, not so fast. Oh, you got it. They go fast, don't they? All right. Let's read it together, and then we'll come back to it. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Does this grow? But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their heart. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's a promise. I'm thankful for the new covenant. And God, God started talking about it way back there in Jeremiah 31. Uh, long before, centuries before Jesus came to earth. If you, do you mind leaving that up there, guys? I didn't tell you that, but I'll leave it up there because we'll be right back there. I want to look at something. But, but here's the clear mention of the new covenant here in Jeremiah 31 that was made by God to God's people. Um, but first, I'd like to look at verses 8 and 9 here in Hebrews 8. What does God say about that first covenant that was, he found fault with that would need to be replaced? It's for finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So little, it's pretty much quoted word for word. There's a little things added in here for application. If you haven't noticed, God and whoever the human author was that wrote the book of Hebrews, they like to reference Old Testament scriptures a lot, <laughs> every chapter. And he's doing it here. Um, verse 8 tells us that God did find fault in the first covenant, in the Old Testament law, for finding fault with them. That's what King James says. Now, um, that's interesting because it really doesn't say he found fault with the covenant. It says finding fault with them, plural the people he made the covenant with. And that's important as well. Because what was the problem with it? Did, did God make a mistake in that first covenant, in the old covenant? No, it wasn't God's fault. What we're being told here is it was man's. See, that covenant was a conditional covenant. And God's people broke their side of the deal. They broke it routinely, didn't they? Um, God gave them grace uh, upon grace. That's what we read about in the Old Testament. He sent them preachers. He sent them prophets with his word to call them back to repentance. But the long, the long, sad history of Israel, it's a long, sad history of the human race, including every one of us. C.S. Lewis once wrote that. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Now, I don't know if there's a better description. That could be like, that's an Old Testament commentary in one sentence. <laughs> what they did. Verse 9, it describes the great redemption of God here in Hebrews 8, 
when he graciously, he powerfully rescued his people out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness right up to the promised land. And what could we say is a summary of their response, starting with Joshua, or maybe at the end of Joshua, on through Malachi. What was their response? Idolatry, more idolatry, not keeping the law, not obeying his word, not keeping their side of the deal. Now, they promised that they would. See, God said to his people in Exodus 19.5, right before he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, uh, Exodus 19.5, God said, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you will be a peculiar treasure to me above all people. Do you get that? There was an if and there was a then. The first covenant, the old covenant, was conditional. And listen to their response right after Exodus 19.8. They actually say it a second time. In Exodus 24.7, they tell God, yes, all. <laughs> yes, God, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Did they? No, <laughs> not so much. In fact, I don't think they probably made it, not a day or two, it probably wasn't a few hours <laughs> before they broke the covenant. They broke their side of the deal. And they couldn't. They couldn't. You see, the old covenant, the first covenant, it was never designed to save. It was only designed to show them their need for the salvation that God would give them in Jesus Christ. They were to put their faith in the coming Messiah that he promised in Genesis 3.15. That's what God has the Apostle Paul tell us in Romans 3.20. By the deeds of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. And he tells us what it was for. And by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the Old Covenant, it had a fault, it had a flaw. That's what verse 7 says. But the fault wasn't really in it. It was in those who would not keep it. But it was never intended to save. It was inadequate. The Old Covenant was inadequate to save. It was only designed to give us a knowledge of our sin and thereby point us to our need for a Savior. And thank God he is there in the New Covenant. That's where we find him. Here's the supremacy of the new. Let me read verse 10. For this, look at it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now, I emphasize something there, right? Here's the supremacy of the new covenant, and you find it in three big, beautiful pronouns right there in verse 10. Why is it so much better? Why is it three times better? Because of these three eyes that we find in verse 10. Now, there's actually six of them uh, in verses 8 to 12 here in Hebrews that quote uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Uh, see, where, whereas the old covenant was conditional, the new covenant, it's supreme because it's unconditional. It no longer depends on us and our keeping of the law. It depends only on God. It depends only on Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly kept the law for us, but then also died in our place because we didn't, because we couldn't. And here's the beauty. Is God dependable? Is God dependable? Yeah, of course. Perfectly, supremely. These I wills spoken by God here in verse 10. What hope we have that we could sing like we have sung earlier this morning. This is the supremacy of the new covenant. Praise God. I, when I could not go where he is because of my sin, he came to get me in Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant. 
That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. As verse 10 promises, and as we experience when we trust Christ as Savior, what, what, do we, what, do he, what does he do? Well, the law is, is no longer written on two tablets of stone. You can't see them because like, I think that's what that is there, right? The Ten Commandments. It's no longer written there. Where is it written? Under the New Covenant. It's written in our hearts. It's written in our, our minds. That's where God has write, written it. He's given us the desire and the will to actually obey his word and follow him. Christian, that's the supremacy of the new covenant that we have in God through Jesus Christ when we receive him as our Savior. It's a better ministry. It's a better covenant. Let's look at the final thing, because he says better promises in verse 6, whereby it is established by these better promises. Relationship. Verse 11, that's the first thing that those who will enter this better covenant with God through faith in Jesus receive, reconciliation to a relationship with God. Verse 11, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. And God promises us here in verse 11 that because the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, when you trust him as Savior, he comes and he lives inside of you, and he writes his law in your heart and in your mind. God promises us here in verse 11 and there in Jeremiah 31. He says, you no longer need human intermediaries to access God. You don't need them between you and God anymore. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. That the Christian, the born-again Christian, he can go directly to the throne of God in prayer at any time. Like we learned about a couple of chapters ago. We're invited to, commanded to, come boldly before the throne of grace. That every single believer, he does not need a human uh, high priest, but because of Jesus Christ, our superior high priest, every single believer can go directly to God's word. And you, you can understand its truth because the Holy Spirit of Christ has a continual ministry of revealing it to you. That's what he is busy doing until Christ returns. Now again, I am not trying to work myself out of a job here. I'm very thankful for what I do. I know you feel the same way. I'm Pastor Tommy, you feel the same way. You, you don't need us. We're very thankful that you want us. Ephesians 4:11. God does say that he ordained and he has given his church teachers and, and preachers. But the emphasis, emphasis of verse 11, the emphasis of this better promise of the new covenant, it is found in these three comforting words there in verse 11. And, and here, know the Lord. Know the Lord. Do you understand that you can know, know the Lord? A real, a real personal relationship. That's not just some cute buzzword or Christian jargon. That's what we mean when we say a personal relationship with God. That every single believer, because that, that law is no longer written on two stone tablets, that because you don't have to go through high priests that can maybe only go in once a year to make atonement for your sins, that anytime you sin, you can come running back to God and his arms are open, no longer as a judge, but as a welcoming father. That's who Jesus Christ is for you there. That because the Holy Spirit lives in you, that he lives in you, he illuminates the truth of God's word for you. You can all know. You can know him. A personal relationship with God. The God who created you. The God who saved you. The God who recreated you. That leads us to our second promise here in verses 12 and 13. Regeneration. Look at the better promise in verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their iniquities. I will remember no more. Do you understand that when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that when we are born again, we are regenerated 
to new life in Christ and to eternal life with him forever in heaven one day? And do you understand that the very same moment, that's instantaneous when you're born again. The very same moment that occurs, uh, what verse 12 describes happens too. The atonement for our sins that was accomplished in the past when Jesus died on the cross, it is then applied. It is then applied to your account, to your life. Just like Psalm 103, 12 premises. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Does east and west ever meet? Nope. So that's pretty far, isn't it? Infinitely far. They're gone. Thank God for the better promise in the better covenant that we read about in Isaiah 43, 25, where God says, I, yes, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Whoo, I like that. It reminds me of an old gospel chorus. I'm not going to try to introduce it or sing it this morning, so don't worry. All right. I, th- I bet you John and Jean know it because it's kind of their style. And they used to say, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my heart is free. And in my life, there's a song. My sins, they're buried in the deepest sea. And that's good enough for me because I will live eternally. Praise God. My sins are gone. Then I go, G-O-N-E, gone. I can't get that low. I need Gary Freeman, gone. That's what Jesus is telling us here. This is what God is telling us. That's the better promise from a better covenant for those who are born again, church. They're gone. They're gone. And then verse 13, verse 13 contrasts the beauty and the vitality of the new covenant. It's alive with the decay and the disappearance of the old covenant. What he's telling us here, just like an abrupt halt here at the end of verse 13, it's over. So quit looking back to it. Quit wanting to go back to it. What did Jesus say as he hung on the cross? It is finished. It's over. The veil tore. Access has been granted by faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, he has made a way. Through the way, the truth, and the life. Into a relationship with God, a better times three high priest. My sins are gone in the new covenant, and the old covenant is gone. That's what verse 13 is telling us. Your sins gone? Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? Have you been born again? God's word tells us that is, that is the, only, the only way out of dead religion and into relationship with God. That's what Jesus said. That's what he told Nicodemus, spiritual leader. Should have had a lot of knowledge about this. Should have seen the Old Testament pictures that were pointing to the New Testament reality that was standing right in front of him. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, ye must be born again. He did not tell him, you must have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. He said, you must be born again. He did not say, Nicodemus, you must be a Baptist or a Methodist or you fill in the blank. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not you must try harder to earn God's favor or his grace and be saved. You must be born again. Has that happened? If it hasn't, do it now. I mean, you don't wait for an invitation. Right now when I'm talking, cry out to God. Tell him, I I know I'm a sinner. I know it, Lord. And I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. What we've sung about, what we've read about, what we've studied together, I, I trust in that. And I want new life and I want eternal life. But Christian, you who have, is Jesus better? I know your answer. I know your answer. I'm so glad for that. <clears throat> but sometimes my life doesn't show that I know that answer. We have a better high priest 
We have entered a better covenant. And you and I, we have better promises. That's what this passage is telling us. And God tells us in 2 Corinthians 7.1, a verse that often convicts me in a good way and gets me to where I need to be about these better promises. God says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these better promises, beloved, well, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Is there some defilement of body and spirit that God's Holy Spirit is telling you this morning that needs to be cleansed? If so, won't you confess and repent of it this morning? Your better high priest, Jesus Christ, he made atonement for that sin too, and he wants to rid you of it today. He wants to cleanse you of it. Don't hold on to it. Definitely don't hold on to its guilt any longer. As we close in a time of invitation, won't you let it go and come and receive his free and full forgiveness? Lay claim to his better promises and his better covenant from your better high priest, this morning. However, the Holy Spirit has called you to respond today. I just ask that you'd obey.